you can really push the art direction of your film as far as you want it to go in any direction. As long as it, it delivers on these on emotional beats that feel relatable and resonant, it doesn't matter how absolutely bonkers the rest of the movie is. Hello and welcome to My Favorite Movie Is, a podcast all about why we love our favorite movies. My name is Larry Freed and I am the host and creator of this show. And on today's episode, we've got the man behind NerdSync, Scott Nicewander, talking to us all about his favorite movie, the Edgar Wright cult classic, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. It just feels like everything is merging together. It's like a movie and a comic and it's got so much video game references and it's got music, there's like singing and it almost feels like it's every genre of media like all at once. This is a big budget theatrical movie that just bent the kind of art form at the time to be like, we're just gonna throw whatever and we're just gonna make something funny. And it's like, oh yeah, you could just do whatever. There are no rules, just do whatever. You may recognize Scott from some of his incredible video essays about everything from comic books to Scooby-Doo to just, you know, nerd culture in general. So it feels very fitting that we're talking about such a wonderfully nerdy movie with such a wonderfully nerdy guy. It's one of his favorite films. It's also one of my personal favorite films. And it was such an honor to have Scott on the show to talk about it. So I'm incredibly excited for you guys to check out this episode. But before we do, just a few brief reminders. First of all, we go way past the red tape and deep into spoilers on every episode of My Favorite Movie Is, including this one. So if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which may actually be a bit of a possibility. This movie kind of got slept on for a while. Um, please do yourself a favor and don't let us ruin this wonderful film for you because we spoil it uh, a lot in this episode. So check it out and then come back to us whenever you're ready. However, in the meantime, if you're looking for your MFMI fill, we have a bunch of other episodes available on our show page, on your podcasting platform of choice. We also have a YouTube channel where you can watch video versions of every episode. So uh, believe me, there has to have been at least one episode of the show in which there is a movie that you have seen thus you can listen and or watch that's kind of the beauty of it and guys one last thing if you like this episode of my favorite movie is or if you are a returning satisfied listener of the show in both cases thank you very much um do me a huge favor and review and rate this show on Apple Podcasts. Guys, I cannot stress to you how important this is to help grow both the show and the audience for the show. But all right, that's it for the reminders. We already had a week-long hiatus. Let's not delay this episode any further. Scott, let's talk about Scott. My name is Scott Nicewander, and my favorite movie is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Scott Nicewander, welcome to My Favorite Movie Is. It is a pleasure to have you. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. It's so great to be here. I'm excited. I am excited to have you. For those who don't know who you are, which, what? But for those who don't, uh, tell us 
a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. Uh, I run a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C, uh, where I talk about uh, comics and superheroes and other nerdy things, uh, use them as kind of jumping off points to talk about real world history, philosophy, culture, art, that kind of stuff. Uh, if you like podcasts, uh, podcasts, <laughs> podcasts what right? I'm also on a podcast called Late to the Party. It's an actual play D&D podcast, and I, I'm one of the players, and it's very fun. So two two different things you may or may not know me from. I love your work, uh, and I've been Thank watching you. you and your work for a while now. And so we're really excited to have you on the show. And it really is like incredible how well this like lines up because your name is Scott, yes. and the, we are talking about another Scott. We have a Scott yeah. to discuss a Scott. We sure do. We're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world directed by mm. Edgar Wright. It's a film that I love as well, and it was a film that I was hoping uh, would be covered on the show at some point. And also, not only is it two Scots, but it is based on a comic book. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was originally a comic book written by Brian Lee O'Malley, and you are a comics guy. I love that's comics. Like your main, that's one of your main focuses of your work. And not only that, but as we discussed earlier, you also played bass in a yes. band. I have not in many years, but at the time when I watched this movie for the first time, I was a bass player for sure. Not a good one, but like, <laughs> well, just I like was, Scott. Yeah. I mean, canonically, yeah. Yeah, he exactly sucks. Right. Yeah. Exactly so right. this is the perfect episode of the show. I don't think we're ever going to, we're never <laughs> going to have a better line, a better I, lining than I this. I think, I think the issue is it's going to be more confusing. So if you start talking <laughs> about Scott, you have to specify which one and you go, oh, the one that plays bass and like, oh, but I, but, but which one? Well, and then you go, the, Oh, I you know the, the comic book one. Oh, but like which one? I, I think the main difference is the hair. We can it's we'll draw we'll draw the difference <laughs> at mostly, the hair. We have hair in different places, Scott and I. <laughs> Just like flipped flip upside down. I want to talk to you about uh, your first experience watching this. I want you to give me the who, what, where, when, why, and if you're feeling generous, the how of uh, how you came across this movie for the first time and uh, what stuck out to you. Yeah, so I I totally missed out on this movie when it was in theaters the first run, and that is like a, a gigantic regret of my entire life. I feel like I, so many people did. This is yeah. that's a classic case for this film. Absolutely, I watched, I saw trailers of it in theaters, and I just didn't get it uh, at the time. I only really read Marvel and DC comics because I was like super into superheroes. I still am into superheroes. I love superheroes, but I was like very much so like I'm only gonna read Marvel and DC. I don't really want to you know go into these like other graphic novels that don't have batman and spider-man get out of here i didn't even know it was based on a comic book i saw these trailers and i was like this this movie i don't get this movie this movie doesn't make sense to me it looks silly and so i just didn't watch it and then i had a friend who's a gigantic movie buff he had said to me that this that scott pilgrim was probably his pick for best of best movie of 2010 and that like totally that's a big shocked take me. That's, that is a big take i just remember him saying that and me reacting with like are you sure <laughs> like <laughs> did we we saw the same trailers for things right <laughs> like this didn't look like a but all right fine i, I trusted this this friend's opinion I, I gave it no fanfare whatsoever i watched it on my laptop on my couch my couch had a tv in front of it that was much bigger <laughs> and had a better like sound quality <laughs> 
I didn't care. I didn't like mirror it to there. I didn't like hook up an HDMI or anything. I just watched it right on my 13 inch MacBook uh, on my couch alone. I mean, the whole movie is like so good from, from start to finish. But there was this one moment that really got me and I was like, oh, this movie's good. <laughs> this movie's really good. Scott goes to a party. Um, not me, Scott, the other Scott. He goes to a party. We all never, just really make sure we clarify. I've just never in been case to a anyone party. gets confused. Never, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Scott goes to a party and he sees Ramona and he holds up a doodle of Ramona to his to his friend. He says, like, hey, have you seen a girl with hair like this? And it's just like the the laziest doodle. And instantly Como's like, Yeah, that's Ramona Flowers. Like, it's just so funny to me that I was like, Oh, this movie's good. This movie's gonna be a, a wild ride. Cause I mean, that is that joke, that line is before any of like the fighting happened. So I didn't even know yeah. that I was in store for that. Oh, and boy. I just remember like, no, that was just like a really good a really solid joke that like got me for in a way that I wasn't expecting it to. And I was like, well, okay, this is, this is going to be a fun time. And I remember like sitting up and being like, all right, let's actually give this movie some attention right now. And I did not regret it. The rest of the movie is way better. And that's, I mean, it's such a good line, but like the rest, the rest of the movie is so it's like, it just keeps getting better throughout the whole thing. That moment with the doodle of Ramona and really that whole party scene, is really a great uh, emblematic moment for this film in the sense of like, we are in our own reality. This is our own world. Like it yes. functions differently. Yes. And which is something so important, I think, because if you don't jump on that, if you're not going to let yourself be in this new world, I don't think you're going to enjoy the movie. And I think that people who don't enjoy this movie tend to be the people I think who just can't really immerse themselves in the incredibly heightened comedic world that Edgar Wright sort of translated. I want to transition into sort of the first thing I want to discuss, which is how much of a comic book this film is. And because oh you are a comic book lover and somebody who really appreciates that, uh, I was curious if that played a, a, a big role in, in whether or not you enjoyed this film. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, Scott Pilgrim was certainly, certainly not the first movie to, to adapt anything from a comic book for sure. But it to me is, is one of the only comic book movies that really embraces its roots and says, we are not just a movie based on a comic book. We are a comic book movie. That is what we are going to go for. That's what we're going to try to achieve. So everything from the framing uh, of how you can, there are certain moments where characters appear in almost like panels uh, so that you can kind of see individual actions taking place all at once. Obviously all the text on screen, all the kapows sound effects and uh, little notes like in a comic book, you might have an editor's note here. You've got like maybe some information about a character or something like you have at the beginning of the movie. The visual impacts of like when something happens, there's like some energy that flies out is very, very much akin to a, like a superhero comic. And I think it's such a cool touch. It really does make it feel like this movie is ripped from the pages of a, of a very energetic comic book, which it was. It really does feel like you are watching a film and it is a film and it retains all of the language of films. And yet 
there are so many frames where I'm just like, this could be in a comic, this could be in a comic, this could be in a comic. I just see it all. And it manages to create this perfect balance of film, drama, comedy, with all of this comic book stuff thrown in there in ways that are both incredibly obvious, like all the pows and the bams and all the sound effects, while also some subtle choices like in just the way that some shots are framed the way in which they cut back and forth the transitions i'm thinking specifically of the ones where scott and knives are in the cd store and then they go immediately to the sidewalk and then also he first sees ramona and he's looking at ramona and then steven stills comes into the frame goes hey and then they cut to the rehearsal yeah yes uh all of that stuff is so good those kinds of transitions are very comic book-esque. It's very much like, okay, we're in the next location now. That's it. Yeah. But they work so well on film because they transition together so well. This movie has all so much going on. Scott has to defeat seven evil exes. That's seven characters that he has to have fight sequences with. So this movie has to be flying. It has to be going. You have to set up the characters and then immediately go, okay, Next person, next battle, next battle, next thing. But it doesn't feel rushed. Everything feels purposeful and intentional and just masterfully edited. And you're totally right. The pacing just flies, which to be honest, also feels very comic book-esque in a certain way because you know comic books try to create this sense of pace this sense of briskness like the heightened events and things are moving really quickly and a lot of things are happening. But it's also worth noting that it builds up story details super well. Just very small things like Envy as a character is built up super well in the very beginning of the film. Todd uh, being, you know, yeah. building that up with both yes. Ramona and Envy having dated him. And Gideon, G-Man, Graves, you know, there are all those little things in there that are very subtle. And it doesn't, mm -hmm. take a, it doesn't take a lot to see them, but like they really do add a lot. And the same could be said for the characters and their arcs. Do you have a favorite uh, ex-boyfriend fight sequence? Oh, it's if I had to pick one, it's going to be Lucas Lee. He's so good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you love about it? What sticks out to you in that fight that makes it your favorite? So you're, you're absolutely right when you talk about how there are these like planting seeds of, of character arcs because we're first introduced to Lucas Lee with someone watching a, a movie he's an actor right he's a he's an action star and they're watching a movie of him on on tv so that just kind of sets the 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 tone of who this guy is he's a movie star he's very serious action oriented every little detail by the way of, of all these exes have you know if the ex is number one there's a lot of one motifs if the ex is number three there's a lot of three motifs so even just the fact that lucas lee points with two fingers and he's the second ex is like such a hey, such a small a pretty detail. good catch there. That's a good catch. Going on with that, that two motif uh, with him is his whole fight scene is that he has a stunt team of doubles uh, that fight on his behalf. And so I think it's just another clever little detail. That is very clever. I now like, I now oh, remember Matthew Patel. Doesn't he have a thing where he like holds up one and, and like... Yeah, there there's a lot of X motifs, obviously, because uh, of the seven evil Xs. Todd's the third one. His is not subtle. He just wears a shirt with a number three on it. <laughs> <laughs> but Lucas Lee, I love it. The action sequence is good because it is I can't tell if it's actually done when, when Scott's fighting all the doubles I can't tell if it's actually done in one take or if it's spliced together to look like it's one take it's one of the longer like kind of 
still shot. I mean, the camera's moving here and there, but it just tries to make that one action sequence linger so that you feel that Scott is really getting ganged up on. He's he's being bombarded with all of these Lucas Lee lookalikes. And the fact that they all have Chris Evans's voice is also very funny. <laughs> like it's it's not like they have their own personalities because he goes like, hey, I'm gonna get a coffee. Does anyone want any? And then and it's all, all Chris, of Evans. Chris Evans like, yeah, no, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. Hey, I'm gonna get a coffee. You homies want anything? No, I just hate no, negative. Chris Evans is such a good comedic actor. I love him as Captain America, but I am so, like, his roots are, are in comedy. He's so good at it. I want to talk about this film sonically because every time I watch it, I see and hear something new, which I think is, you know, which is which is the mark of a great film. But with this film especially, there is just so much happening that it's almost impossible to not notice something new. And so when I saw this movie in theaters for the first time, which was recently, I watched it as part of the Dolby re-release uh, that happened in honor of its 10th anniversary. I was sitting in the theater. It was the very first scene. And one of my friends who was with me, uh, they're about to start playing Sex Bob Omb, and he turns to me and he goes, dude, this is going to be so loud. And I'm like, oh, man. And then they immediately blast uh, We Are Sex Bob Omb, and your entire body is rocked oh, with sound. Uh, and bet. it's just incredible. The music, obviously, is iconic. Every song, not only the ones that are performed, you know, like, you know, Garbage Truck and Threshold and uh, Black Sheep. But also the cues from the songs and the soundtrack that just are aligned with different beats. When Scott breaks up with Knives, he's on the bus and you have that sort of like the piano notes that come on and then that David Bowie kind of vocal. And then, you know, whatever happened to the teenage dream? Like, I can't listen to that song anymore without thinking about that scene because oh, of course. those moments are so tied. The music feels like so fitting for each moment in which it's played, which is a testament to the score and the soundtrack. I was curious for you if there are any elements, not just music, but also maybe sound effects or mixing or things in this film that uh, particularly stick out to you. Yeah, I mean, you can't discount just how good the songs are. Garbage Truck is so catchy. I'll take you for a ride I'm a garbage truck the, the Battle of the Bands, it's probably, I would say, weaker of, of the X battles just because we don't really get to see or know anything about the twins. But the actual music that happens there and the visuals that happen there, but just even, like you're talking about sonically. That one to me would be so interesting to see with or to hear with with that you know booming audio because I feel yeah, like it, it was would, insane. It I was feel wild. like it it would feel like a battle, just having those competing songs fighting against each other. But you know, obviously at the time when I watched this, like we said, I did play bass. So the bass battle between Scott and Todd. Also very good. I, I love all of that. The incorporation of music, the fact that in in multiple different fights, they use music 
as a weapon uh, in these ways is a very interesting decision in what could have easily been just, you know, like there's so much good fight choreography in this movie, but the fact that they differentiate it by also tying in the fact that Scott is a music, a musician, it just, it just makes it even more interesting. Another level of, you know, we're not just doing things visually. We're doing things sonically and it's, it's spectacular because the comic book took a lot of inspiration from, video games the movie has a lot of video game music and sound effects in it there's the legend of zelda there's lots of a lot, almost every song and cue from legend of zelda games is so instantly iconic and they use a lot of them in here like the great fairy fountain songs crash and the boys that one band with crash and those boys yeah that's the one i hate them oh my gosh and sometimes it's like buried deep in the in the background they'll keep it quiet they're not gonna like boom you know reference they're just gonna be like here's a little subtle thing if you're you know just to kind of in the background that kind of stuff is very fun because it does help this idea that this movie is being pulled from the comic book and the comic book has all these references to games and so it just feels like everything is merging together it's like a movie and a comic and it's got so much video game references and it's got music there's like singing and it almost feels like it's every genre of media like all at once i think that this movie just really resonated with a lot of people because it showed you that we can take all of these things that we love, comic books, video games, you know, movie references, music, independent music bands, all these kind of indie artists, throw them all together. And, you know, not to say anything about now, but back then, you know, I think the, the cultural consciousness of those things was a little bit more derogatory. It was a little bit more like, oh, you like are obsessed with bands. Oh, you like video games. You know, these were all things that were, you know, nerd culture was not as yeah, big in 2010 sure. as it is now. And yeah. so I think the reason why this film has caught on so much and why people love this film so much and why the comic book element of it is so brilliant is that it can take all of these things together and still tell an incredibly emotional, elevated, serious story that is about, you know, tragic characters and really about very important themes, but aesthetically incorporate all of these things that some people would consider childish or immature or something like that. I will also say to the point of sound effects, there are a lot of just like moments where in between dialogue, a sound effect will be like thrown in, like when uh, Scott and Stacy are talking on the phone. She's working at like a restaurant or something. And like in between one of the pieces of dialogue, you just hear like a little like cash register open up. Wallace, duh. He's not even conscious. Whatever. You of all people should know how sucky it is to get cheated on. And stuff like that. And there's just so much of that just in between all the pieces of dialogue. And it helps make the film feel fuller. It helps place you into all of the environments. One of my favorite uses of sound effects in the film is with Ramona's chip in her neck. There are a couple of moments in which Ramona will feel that chip as a sort of reflex, a nervous reflex, which is already great. And she like presses it on the back. There's this little like digital like like sound that occurs yeah. in the back. And you cannot hear it unless you really pay attention. Hey, just out of sheer curiosity and concern for my mortal well-being, is there anyone at this party that you haven't slept with? 
but it's those motifs that keep coming back that just fill your ear holes with sound and just like make the entire experience feel incredibly full it's just it's that attention to detail it's just mm-hmm. it, you, which is a right staple it's a classic it's a right edgar staple. right staple just to touch on one final sound effect that i thought of um just one final thing that always makes me laugh whenever i i watch it is there's a part where scott comes in to the apartment and it's played like an episode of Seinfeld with yes. like the it's got Love the, that moment. the bass. It's got the laughter, the like the laugh track and the audience like ooing and awing. It just, it goes on for like a good couple minutes of yeah. just them telling jokes, and it's got this, you know, the laugh track and the sound effects. And then all of that shuts off when Yes. It's when Wallace uh turns off the grill or something. Yeah, Wallace is making bacon and he and he like flips off the 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 stove and that click is what turns off all of the audience like sound effects and it like ends that whole joke using sounds that aren't there and then also incorporating a sound that is there yes it's a mix those cues those cues of how one affects the other is so interesting as someone who makes videos and i'm always trying to like think of different ways to use both visual and sound effects stuff the fact that this is a big budget theatrical movie that just bent the kind of art form at the time to be like, we're just going to throw whatever and we're just going to make something funny. And it's like, oh yeah, you could just do whatever. There are no rules. Just do whatever. Yeah. And the same thing with the visual. I know you, you do a lot of visual effects work and uh, you uh, are always testing things out in your videos, trying out new things aesthetically. I'm sure you also probably were blown away by all of the different effects Oh my gosh, well. yeah. This was my gap year between uh high school and college and so I was I was on the verge of trying to pursue visual effects as a career path and this movie was a huge inspiration for me. Everything about it challenged what I thought visual storytelling could be in a movie because I've never seen anything like it before. That the way that this film says, I know that we're trying to tell a story with these characters and make them feel real, but we're going to put it in a world that feels absolutely surreal at, at all times. The Like just them going through these doorways that appear, uh, these like subspace doorways that kind of like appear out of nowhere. It's like, what is that? How? What? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to because the characters are so grounded and they uh, what they're going through feels, even though it's absolutely absurd, like the actual scenarios, the emotions feel real. And that to me is, I guess my biggest like artistic takeaway from this movie is that you can really push the art direction of your film as far as you want it to go in any direction, as long as it, it delivers on these on emotional beats that feel relatable and resonant. It doesn't matter how absolutely bonkers your the rest of the movie is. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of My Favorite Movie Is. I hate to interrupt this awesome conversation, but I just wanted to remind you all that you can find more episodes of My Favorite Movie Is by going to our show page on your podcasting platform of choice. And if you like video podcasts, we actually post our video versions for every podcast episode on YouTube. New audio episodes drop every other Monday, and then video episodes drop that following 
Friday. So I hope you'll subscribe and follow us and hit that notification bell and do all the things you got to do to stay updated on when new episodes go live. Another way to stay updated on when new episodes go live and get some fun bonus content and sneak peeks in between episodes is to follow us on our social media pages at MFMI Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I hope you guys will find us there and stay updated and check out all the cool stuff we're doing on those platforms. And finally, for a full catalog of audio and video episodes, as well as more information about the show and how you can contact us for any reason, you can go to MFMIPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to My Favorite Movie Is. Let's get back to the show. So, Scott, normally on the show, I like to ask a question along the lines of, is there something about the film that strikes you differently in rewatching it than when it did when you watched it for the first time? Has it, Have you evolved with the film? Has the film evolved in any way? And I think for this film, there is sort of an element that everybody talks about when they talk about revisiting this film as you mature, as you grow older. And I think it's the characters. There's a discourse surrounding this film, that <laughs> that, uh, that naughty word, the discourse, that these characters, quite frankly, are incredibly flawed, which doesn't quite line up with the fact that I think for a number of people, as we spoke about earlier, because this film aesthetically evokes so many nerdy things and so many things that people love they sort of took that and conflated it with um the characters in the film when in reality these are incredibly flawed characters and as you grow up and as you experience your own stuff you see that more clearly and i was wondering how you in particular see these characters differently from when you first watched it to now yeah i i would say definitely the biggest difference in terms of how I view characters it's mostly around Scott and I think a part of that is because my name is Scott and I played bass at the time I I, I know we keep hammering drawing, on about drawing this. those parallels yet I again. know we keep hammering but it is important because when I watched this movie I really felt like I, I related to Scott I felt like he was a, a character that for whatever reason at the time I wanted to be like him. I, I wanted to be, he seemed cool. He could fight people, <laughs> you know? I watch this movie every year on my birthday. It's my favorite movie. Great birthday and, film. You know, it, after a couple years of doing that and showing it off to all of my friends, did I realize that, hey, not only is Scott Pilgrim not a good dude, but the movie goes out of its way to tell you that in case in case you are like me when I was younger and you didn't realize that you're not supposed to look up to this guy. In one of my favorite scenes at the very end, Scott faces down all these evil exes and he wins. He defeats G-Man. The only enemy left to face out of nowhere is Nega Scott, the exact polar opposite of Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Nega Scott. Nega Scott. No. This is something I have to face. Which, by the way, is built up super well because when they're playing that ninja DDR game, the yes. boss is the Nega Ninja. The Nega Ninja's there. So it's another great piece of foundation building in the first time. Absolutely. So Nega Scott shows up as this surprise final battle. And like at first, I'm like, wait, but we just had this incredible fight sequence at the end with Gideon. I don't want to have another fight sequence with this other 
villain who I've not even really been introduced to. And the movie goes, no, you don't, we're not doing that because Nega Scott is the exact opposite of Scott Pilgrim, which means he's just a really good guy. And <laughs> Scott Pilgrim walks away making brunch plans with Nega Scott. And then the whole, the line that the movie delivers to you is a very blatant, like, oh no, he's just a really nice guy. What happened? Oh, nothing. We just shot the shit. He's, he's, he's just a really nice guy. We're going to get brunch next week. If Nega Scott is just a really nice guy, then this is the movie's way of letting you know Scott Pilgrim is the opposite of that. He is not a good guy. His whole character arc uh, is basically just him learning to have a little bit it's just him learning to be a little bit more decent to the people around him. He starts the movie by basically cheating on Knives and Ramona with each other, and he doesn't confess or even really feel bad about it at all until the very end when he's kind of caught in the act and it all comes out. So it's just him learning to be a slightly less horrible person. And that's his whole, uh, that's his whole arc. And also just learning to kind of respect others and himself a little bit more. And so that, that's definitely the biggest shift in, in how I've seen this movie. Cause it felt like I was like, yeah, I relate to this guy. And nowadays I'm like, oh, this guy's, this guy's bad. I don't like this guy. Yeah. I, I will take it one step further from where you're taking it. I think Please. that really this entire film, I mean, there's literally, it's very blatant. There's that moment where, you know, Scott gains the power of self-respect. That's right. Uh, and that's really what this movie is all about. It's about having more respect and love for yourself, who you are. And ultimately that will reflect how you treat other people. Scott, he seeks attention from other people to feel better about himself after having been broken up with uh, by Envy. And then Ramona comes along and feeds that. But of course, he feels something deeper. But then there's that great moment where Ramona changes her hair and Scott's like, yeah, but she just did it without even thinking about it. You know, like she's just she's just cool. Like she just does whatever she wants, which is exactly what Scott wants. Scott wants the confidence in himself to just do whatever he wants and not have to worry about what other people think about him. But then the beauty of the character of Ramona is that Ramona is also attached to Gideon. And throughout the entire movie, Scott learns that Ramona has this attachment to all of these guys. She's been using these exes for attention just like Scott did. And so that's why these two characters are perfect for each other. And I'll let you in on a little, little take, a little take for you, Scott. I'll let you in on a little insider, oh, well, a little insider take, take right. here. Okay. I I used to really dislike the ending of this film. I didn't like that Scott and Ramona ended up together because there are moments in the finale where it feels like it's alluding to Scott and Knives ending up together. Like okay, that moment right. where they fight together, which you know is valid. There's that great line where Ramona goes, you two make a good pair. You two make a good combo. Yeah. But in re-watching this film, I realized that the ending actually works really well because Scott and Ramona have the same issue. It's not fully resolved at the end. They both fully acknowledge that they need to start again. They need to try again. But Knives has yeah. resolved her issue. Knives like, I'm Absolutely. too cool for you anyway. That's the best line. And, and, and just that, that line wraps up Knives' Knives' whole arc beautifully. Because the whole movie at the beginning, she looks up to Scott because he's older. He's in a band. He's cool. She even says like, oh, I think you're so cool. And then her last line to Scott is, I'm too cool for you anyway. 
And it's just so good. It's so good. It's oh, perfect. Chef's kiss. Incredible. And yeah. And it goes to that that theme that you're talking about of like it's it's gaining a self self respect, and I think that's Knives' whole arc is that is being like, oh, I'm not cool, and then ending it with like, I'm too cool for you, like so yeah. good. Yeah, and I mean like Knives has the same issue throughout the film. She dyes her hair a different color. She yeah. starts dating young Neil, all for Scott's attention because that's what she thinks she needs to feel good about herself. But in reality, she's just got to kick ass, which is exactly what she does yeah. at the end. Uh, and even in the smaller characters, there's the great moment where uh, when Scott uh, redoes the Gideon fight where he talks to the band, he goes, Steven, the band sounds really great without me. You're doing great. And Steven's whole problem throughout the film is we sound awful. We suck. Like, how are we going to compete with this? Even though, like, they rock so hard and they're so good. Like, that's one of the best jokes <laughs> yeah. is that canonically they suck when they're so good. Young Neil becomes Neil. He yes. gains the confidence to play bass in the band. And then Kim has a really subtle moment. You know, I think I think Kim is an underexplored character in this film, probably because, you know, she only has a couple of moments. Her personality, I think, is a very classic kind of personality we see in the Internet age, which is this very cold, very dry, you know, I hate you. You know, like this, the classic kind of character. But really, it comes from this deep-seated place of self-loathing and I think her relationship with Scott, that is really where that stems from. I think the film alludes to that in the moments where they discuss his relationship with her. And so in the end, when Scott apologizes, I think it's that really subtle, beautiful moment where they add you know, points to his score after he apologizes to Kim. Wallace is one of the only characters who has no issues with who he is, fully oh, yeah. happy with who he is, oh, which yeah. is one of the reasons I think... He's a great character in The Voice of Reason throughout mm -hmm. the film. It's a theme that pervades the entire film. And I think it's one of the reasons why this film, I think, has gotten the due credit it deserves and why I kind of wince at the discourse surrounding this film that people find this film to be, like, problematic or like you know, there's that there's that uh, meme like Ramona Flowers ruined an entire generation of women, you know, where they show those pics of of women dyeing their hair and rollerblading and doing all these things. Takes like that really undermine what this film is about. I think this film knows that these characters are flawed. Yes, specifically makes it so that they're flawed and that they become a little less flawed by the end. And it's one of the reasons I think this film is, you know so great and will stand the test of time forever because it has that deep knowledge of its own characters. And I think that that language you used is very, very key. They don't become perfect at the end. They just become a little less flawed. And that's really it. And I know that that can sound like a very unsatisfying movie that things don't work out beautifully and perfectly and happily ever after. But you see characters grow in a way that feels realistic in a world that is anything but realistic. Scott, this has been a great discussion. We're nearing the end of it, but we're going to end it with a bang, specifically the bang of lightning because it's the MFMI lightning round. <sighs> and so I'm going to throw you some superlatives, your favorite this, your favorite that. And yeah. uh, you got to give me your impulsive answer the first yes. thing that comes to your mind. Don't try to think too hard about it. Just uh, give me what you think. Favorite line. Um, I'll be quieter. Is your girlfriend distracting you? My girlfriend? I'll be quieter. <laughs> Great moment. Favorite character. And if it's different, favorite performance. 
Favorite character is Wallace. Favorite performance is Chris Evans, Lucas Lee. Favorite shot or sequence of shots? When Scott goes to the bathroom and there's the pee bar and he goes out of the room and it's the set's changed. What I mean, an it's incredible just, visual trick. Incredibly it's cool. It's wild. And you really can't notice that the set is changing unless you really look. Yeah. Like, you really got to look for it. Favorite set or location? I like the movie set with Lucas Lee. I think it's cool. That, I'd actually like to make a quick note about that. One of the few films that portrays an in-movie set realistically. Favorite song or moment of score? Is Black Sheep. Of course it's Black Sheep. It's Black Sheep. We really have to thank the gods that it only took 10 years, but we finally have the Brie Larson vocal version of Black Sheep available on streaming services. It's so good. It took them long enough. But it finally happened. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you were. I come and go, was waiting for the world to end. Favorite piece of trivia or behind the scenes know how? Okay, so I learned this from an interview that Edgar Wright did right when the movie came out. And I do not know if this is true because it only applies to the TV version of Scott Pilgrim. So anyone will have to correct me on this if it's not true or confirm if it is true. Because it was a TV version, they couldn't use swear certain swear words, obviously. So they had to uh, tone down some of the language by... Uh, going in post and dubbing over what they said. Edgar Wright didn't like that idea. He hated having to like censor very mild language. So he changed the word ass to the word owl. So there's an exchange, just because he thought it would be funny and absurd, but <laughs> there's an exchange between Scott and Ramona where he says, have you ever dated someone that isn't a total owl? And she goes, well, you're not a total owl, but I'm part owl. So... <laughs> In the TV version, Scott Pilgrim is canonically part owl. Favorite experience having seen the film? When I lived in Dallas and Alamo Drafthouse had a, sh a screening for fans. And not only is Alamo Drafthouse like such a cool place to watch movies, but fan screenings for these types of movies, these like movies that have cult followings are so good because they will provide you with props to play along with. So everyone had glowing like foam sticks that you would like beat to the music and like sway around in the music whenever oh, that happened. That sounds incredible. Anytime uh, Ramona and Scott would kiss, you know, in the movie, they've got those like heart bubbles that come up. So yeah. they gave everyone a little bottle of bubbles to blow oh, up at the screen. Oh, that's so cute. What the and, heck? And everyone had seven coins so that whenever Scott beat one of the, one of the, is you would all throw coins at the screen. It was so good. That sounds potentially dangerous, but also wonderful. <laughs> they were plastic coins. They weren't okay. real, though. No. All right, <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. It was Although all good. I kind of want to throw a bunch of metal coins with it. It would be fun. And then collect them afterwards after you convince everyone else to do it as just, well. Just enough for the bus ride home. Scott, it was a pleasure to talk to you today about such a beloved film. Thank you so much for being here. Before you go, take this opportunity. Lay down some plugs. Where can people find you and your work? Yes. Uh, you can find most of my work on YouTube. Uh, YouTube.com is the website. Just search for NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. Uh, that's where you can find all of my video essays about comics and cartoons. Please go check it out. And if you like D&D &D stuff, come check out my podcast, Late to the Party. As I said, it's an actual uh, actual play D&D &D podcast. And of course, they can also find you on Twitter, yeah? Yeah, Twitter, at Scott Nicewander. Uh, good luck spelling my last name. I have faith in you. 
You got well, it. Well, I mean, if they are watching this on YouTube or if they are listening to it on a streaming service, your name will be in the title. So fantastic. We've it's done just them my a name. service. It's yeah. just my name. Go look it up. It's just his name, which happens to be the same name as the film we're talking about. That's right. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I'm glad we could cover this film. And Scott, I'm glad that we get to cover this film with you. Thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I'm, I'm, I can't believe I just got to gush about my favorite movie for an hour. Isn't it so much fun? It's, just, it's a treat. It's a delight. I love tell it. Your, tell your friends. Tell your <laughs> tell will. your neighbors. Tell your wives. Yeah. MFMI is here, and it's a fun. It's a fun time. Guys, this episode was just so much fun. A whole barrel of laughs, honestly. Um, it was amazing to get to gush about a film I love with a creator who I so deeply admire. Scott, from the bottom of my heart. Is this where my heart is? My heart's over here. Um, thank you so much. Of course, check out Scott's work on YouTube at NerdSing. Check him out on Late to the Party, wherever you get your podcasts. But also, he actually premiered his own podcast. It's called It's Probably Not Aliens. It's co-hosted with Tristan Johnson. It's all about debunking ancient aliens and conspiracy theories, literally doing the Lord's work. Uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find them on Twitter at ProbsNotAliens and also at ProbsNotAliens.com. Com. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Favorite Movie Is. If you did, follow us on your podcasting app of choice. Subscribe to us on YouTube and hit that notification bell. New audio episodes go up every other Monday, and the video version of that episode goes up the following Friday in which it is released, barring technical difficulties. Again, sorry about that hiatus, guys. But we're back and better than ever, and we really hope you guys stay updated so that way when new episodes go live, you listen to them. Another way to stay updated is to follow us on social media at MFMI Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and on Facebook. We now have a Facebook page. Just another way to stay updated for when new episodes go live. You know, for those of you who don't know how to use TikTok or whatever. Like the page. Follow us. It's the same handle at MFMI Podcast. Apparently, Facebook has handles now. Um, and you can yet again stay updated on when new episodes go out just now on Facebook. Also, guys, just another reminder, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, especially if you liked the show and this episode. Uh, it really means a lot. It takes a very short amount of time, but it does us a whole lot of good. So thank you for doing that. For a full catalog of audio and video episodes, as well as more information about the show, you can visit us at mfmipodcast.com. And lastly, if you're looking to reach us for whatever reason, business inquiries, sponsorship inquiries, you just want to say hi, you want to tell us how much you love the show, I would like that very much. Um, you can reach us at hello at mfmipodcast.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. My Favorite Movie Is is a Larry Freed Presents production. It is executive produced, hosted, created, and directed by me. Larry Frieden is also produced by me alongside Brian Novak. Our assistant director is Steven Reyes, and our editors are myself, as well as Clayton and Kimberly Allen. Our graphic designer is Monica Sarmiento. Our motion graphics designer is Elton Greenfield. And our theme song, Now and Then, as well as all original music featured on this show, is composed and performed by Matt Gordue. For this episode, our camera operator was Alex Samujos, and our sound recordist was Matthew Hazel. Thank you all so much for everything you do to make this show possible. For everybody's websites and portfolios and socials and what have you, you can check out the show notes below. My name is Larry Freed, and this has been My Favorite Movie Is. <laughs>